When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast, the forecast to your next successful hunt. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. Where in the hell is Jack's Reef? On this episode, we talk about the history of the Erie Canal, wetland drainage and wetland restoration, brothels near the home office in Jack's Reef, New York, and we also cover historic changes in mallard populations across the country, as well as our duck migration forecast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, with the Foul Weather Podcast. Thanks for joining us for free and subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We drop a new episode every week for your Monday drive to work. On these episodes, we cover all aspects of duck migration, duck hunting, and wetland management for waterfowl. We also provide the only science-based duck migration forecast available. Think about that for a second. We produce the only forecast of where ducks are going to be in the coming week. We don't tell you where the ducks have already been because, as you know, ducks get stale really quick. We forecast fresh ducks. We pour years of our own experience and science into bringing you the only migration forecast available. Thanks for joining us. Whoa, hold on folks, we actually got some snow last week. That tropical system that came up over Maine and then button-hooked back over Quebec and into Ontario hit some cold Arctic air and dropped snow over portions of Ontario and Quebec. Alright, it was largely just a dusting in most places, but my in-laws in North Bay, Ontario certainly aren't growing tomatoes anymore. Yeah, so as I said, my in-laws are from North Bay. Um, I spent a fair bit of time in Canada in graduate school and then later uh, as a research, uh, waterfall research biologist. So met my wife there. She's Canadian. And uh, maybe some of my Canadian friends noticed when I called Canadian provinces states a few episodes ago. Uh, yeah, That didn't go over well in our house either uh, with, with my wife. So First, here is that clip of me calling Canadian provinces states. Again, check your local and state regulations for specifics. This is just a quick summary of who's open and shooting ducks. And of course, uh, our Canadian friends are largely open um, throughout their uh, regions as well, being production states um, and having earlier movement of birds into those areas. So, okay, that was a slip, but here's the best part, was my wife coming into the studio during a recording recently and yelling at me about calling provinces states. I'll explain why I did it in a second, but here's this clip of my wife uh, kind of giving me the business. What? I'm recording. Did you actually call Canadian provinces states? Yeah. Yes, I did. I'm going to yeah. cover it. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. <laughs> I was stating that most ducks are still on northern breeding grounds, and for the U.S. regulatory purposes, these are often called production states 
For example, for years, you couldn't have a blueing teal season if you were considered a production, quote unquote, state. So when I noted that most ducks were still on their breeding grounds in Canada, I slipped and called them production states. So sorry to my Canadian friends, uh, you know, that, that are across all of your wonderful provinces. Thanks for everything you do for producing ducks for us. I also got the comment this week uh, from my sister-in-law. She works for Montana, what is that, FWPP, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Um, her husband works as a, I want to say, federal law enforcement for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So, you know, they know their way around the outdoors. Um, I got the comment from them this week that the migration forecast wasn't very specific, you know, or or much of the episode. And yeah, I get it, right? There's not much happening right now this year so far, right? In many northern tier states, we've barely had the hint of a frost yet or maybe a light frost at best in most areas. But the migration reports are going to heat up in the coming months as ducks actually start to move more. But look, I mean, the bad news is that we were, we're really in a, an El Nino uh, at this time. It's, it's almost certain that it's going to happen. It continues to strengthen. We already look to be kind of in a strong El Nino, right? As I stated previously, that a super El Nino or the Pacific Ocean being greater than 2 degrees Celsius warmer than normal was unlikely. But right now, we're already at a 1.5 on that El Nino index, um, and we're certain to be in an El Nino winter. If you look at when they when they put together what the forecast is going to be, it's not one weather model. It's a composite lots of times of 18 different models. And I said that a super El Nino wasn't going to happen, but right now it's switched a little bit. Six of the 18 of those El Nino forecasts indicate a super El Nino. So... These conditions are building. They already look to be reflected by some pretty damn warm temperatures across the prairies, which is pretty much expected under El Nino conditions. All right, so on to the topic at hand. Where the hell is Jack's Reef? Technically technically not a township. It's an un unincorporated hamlet of Jack's Reef. It sits along the historic Erie Canal in central New York swamp country. At times, the Erie Canal is just a dug ditch, and at others, it uses kind of these natural river tracks. This stretch of the Erie Canal we're talking about here at Jack's Reef uses the Seneca River, connecting the Montezuma Marshes, where my wife and I mostly hunt, to the west, and the Oswego River and Lake Ontario farther east and north. This hamlet of Jack's Reef developed around a tavern, it was a hotel, and some also noted that at times a house of ill repute. The story goes that a fellow named Jack lived in a cabin near the rift or reef in the river and was known for selling fish to locals that he speared at night by torchlight, also called jack lighting, right? So it might have came, Jack's reef might have come from the activity of jack lighting at this very shallow spot or reef in the oxbow of the Seneca River. Right, So it was logical for a hotel to develop at this spot because it's a place where people had to pull out boats and barges and portage around. It was a place to drink, eat, rest, and recreate before moving on farther west or east on the Erie Canal. The hotel was first built in 1820 and homes sprung up at Jack's Reef as people found profit and services needed by weary travelers along the canal. The reef and the river also made it difficult to drain the Montezuma marshes. No matter how many drainage ditches people dug, the water could only drop a few feet as it moved its way east to Jack's Reef and hit the high reef in the river. 
But in 1856, New York State funded a ditch that cut across the Oxbow. It's now called the State Ditch. Pretty popular place for walleye fishing and other types of fish. And the Montezuma Marsh water level in nearby lakes are noted to have dropped by four feet in two weeks. Now the wetland forest could be more easily drained and cut, and the massive expanses of marshes could be ditched and drained, and the historic Montezuma Marsh was basically gone forever. Traditionally, the region would have flooded from winter melt, winter snow melt, and spring rains, and it would have taken months up till July for those waters to recede as the water had to make its way slowly out to Lake Ontario with very little change in elevation from the Montezuma Marshes through the Seneca River into the Oswego River and then finally into Lake Ontario. Traditionally, summer vegetation would grow so quickly and thick in the Montezuma Marsh that it would actually push water back into the Finger Lakes, which drain north through Montezuma. So it's a bit ironic that the Foul Weather Podcast home office is in Jack's Reef. The good news is that the Jack's Reef restaurant has been kept alive and well and still serves great food and drink to locals. I haven't found any hint of a brothel yet, though. I guess, fortunately or unfortunately? All right, I'm going to back out of that one. The other good news is that through a variety of wetland restoration efforts, primarily by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the New York Department of Environmental Conservation, and Ducks Unlimited, the Montezuma region is alive and well, serving as a premier stopover for a lot of ducks, a lot of geese, a lot of swans, on fall and spring, spring migration in the eastern U.S. In total, about 10,000 wetland acres have been restored using Duck Stamp, North American Wetlands Conservation Act, and Ducks Unlimited funding, again, among others, right? Um, lots of folks contribute to these things. Uh, Audubon Society's been involved. Pheasants Forever's been involved. Turkey Federation's been involved. But what you should really feel good about is this is your Duck Stamp money at work as well. On the duck migration front, at the beginning of the 1900s, black ducks really were king in the Montezuma region. There were few mallards at that time. We'll tell more about the mallard story later, but mallards really colonized this region later. There were some there, um, but not at the abundance that they are now. Both mallards and black ducks peaked in abundance during migration sometime in early November at that time at the at the beginning of the 1900s. So fast forward to today, and we mostly see them peak, and the Weather Severity Index predicts them to peak about 30 days later in early December. Crazy. It's already changed by 30 days compared to what it was um, back in, say, 1910. Some of our own research suggests that by the end of this century that mallards and black ducks will migrate at least another 30 days later or might not even leave the region at all. The thought is, is that the, the, the falls will come later, the springs will come earlier, and that whole period will, will compress under a changing climate. All right, so more in future episodes about how a changing climate is causing major shifts in timing of fall migration and where ducks winter. All right, so that's the story about Jack's Reef um, and the Erie Canal. So not sure about y'all, but we had to sing the 15 miles on the Erie Canal song in grade school. 
And boy, it never told us of the massive destruction to wildlife that the Erie Canal caused. I mean, in total, we lost about 70% of the wetlands along the canal during a massive period of drainage that was funded by the government. Now knowing the utility of wetlands, those same agencies are putting them back. So the Erie Canal meant progress, um, but it also meant massive loss at one time. All right, this week's where the ducks are hot and where they're not. It's going to detail trends in mallard populations across the continent. For the purposes of planning, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service designates three main mallard populations. The western population, the mid-continent population, and the eastern mallard population. The western population covers sections of Alaska and British Columbia, along with all the west coast states. The mid-continent is primarily breeding areas of the boreal forest, parklands, and prairies in the middle of the continent. But it also includes an independent survey of the Great Lakes states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. The eastern population includes areas of eastern Canada and all of the Atlantic Flyway states. So we'll start with where the ducks are hot, or the mallards in this case, in the mid-continent region. Although down from about 11.8 million in 2016, the U.S. prairie still gets where the mallards are hot. The Canadian prairie mallards are not doing as well, probably because they lack a solid ag policy that's led to a lot of wetland and grassland loss. Um, and also they've just been much drier in the recent past. This year, the Canadian prairies are, are drier than the U.S. prairies. And there even seems to be a little bit of an overflight um, from that, leading to some more birds in the, in the U.S. Um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about breeding birds here. So the one where they're not in the mid-continent goes to the Great Lakes region, which has seen a substantial decline in recent times. With Michigan, Michigan alone down about 75% from the long-term average. Next, the Pacific Flyway or Western Mallard population is also doing well with only slight declines recently. Where Mallard populations in other places in the prairies, specific places in the prairies I'm saying, are down 30 to 40%, most of the Western region is only down 2 to 8% with Alaska holding steady with about half of the 1.2 million mallards in that uh, western region. I guess California and Oregon are exceptions, down this year 39 and 23% from the long-term average for the numbers of breeding mallards. Now to the eastern population, which has seen a lot of press lately, with a nearly 50% decline in the U.S. portion, whereas the Canadian portion of this mallard population is stable to growing. So the real where the mallards are not goes to the U.S. portion of the eastern population with a steady decline for over 20 years with no real research on this subject or understanding of why that decline happened. The total eastern mallard population has seemingly rebounded a bit in the past two years, but that increases nearly entirely in eastern Canada. I like to keep the podcast here uh, separate from my work world to a large degree, but I myself have been deep in mallard research. Specifically on the genetics end is where most of that's been at with a bunch of collaborators. Uh, Phil Levretsky at University of Texas El Paso. Uh, Brian Davis at Mississippi State and the folks at Forbes Biological Station, as well as some uh, friends in Canada, Keith Hobson and I, along with a team of grad students, have been doing a suite of uh, mallard genetics work. 
But more to come in future episodes on current Mallard research, not just myself, but Atlantic Flyway and others and what's going on. Um, and how not only winter weather, but changes in Mallard genetics may be reducing Mallard migrations to southern states. A little teaser here. A released game farm mallard has no instinctual drive to migrate to an ancestral wintering ground. So mallards are still hot in the mid-continent, especially U.S. prairies, because of policies that help protect vital breeding habitat, and where the mallards are not goes to the U.S. portion of the Atlantic Flyway. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. On to this week's forecast. But a real quick note first. If you're like me, your phone knows more about you than you do. And about just two days ago, I got a message across my feed about how a cold front brought new waterfowl to North Dakota, and it was mostly widget and green-winged teal. We really want to note that we forecast that movement in episode 6, A Tale of Two Migrations, days before it happened. Not a strong push, but a push of early migrants out of the boreal and parkland of Canada and into, by the way, those are Canadian provinces, out of the boreal and parkland of Canadian provinces and into the U.S. prairies. Go back and have a listen. Episode 6, A Tale of Two Migrations. We did get some much-needed rain in the eastern prairies and upper Midwest. Not enough to break the drought in most areas, but it likely helped some wetlands and created some really good temporary surface water for hungry ducks to find food. Dry conditions have also allowed for corn and soybean harvest to be ahead of schedule in most areas in the upper Midwest and prairies. Food and water will continue to help birds stay in the Dakotas and upper Midwest where only at the most northern locales are weather severity index values hitting numbers to move out a small number of ducks of species like, you're going to hear this over and over, widgeons, green-winged teal, gadwall, shoveler. You're not hearing the term mallard, you know, for the mid-continent folks, and you're not hearing that term black duck for you eastern folks, right? Or mallard or black duck for your, you eastern folks. There just isn't weather um, yet to push those birds. We're really early in the season. The, you know, the comment that this weather isn't severe enough to move birds south is also supported by ongoing lower than normal numbers of ducks at the latitude of about Iowa. Not that there aren't birds there, they're just lower than, you know, past years and, and lower than the average. Farther west from Montana south, there's been pockets of cold air and even bits of spitting snow, mostly at these higher elevation areas. Um, last week, like 5,000 feet or higher. And that those kind of areas had a small push of pintails. Um, some locations in Wyoming, in Montana at higher elevations had some small push of pintails um, um, actually out of those areas and, and possibly moving them a little farther south. This coming week, temperatures moderate strongly from Montana south through Colorado with movement only happening 
kind of for your earliest mar- migrants, again, widgeon, green wings, and, and kind of shovelers. As we move east, we see WSI values in kind of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Ottawa, Ontario finally hit values that should move some early migrants like widgeon, green wing, teal, and shoveler south. But again, these will only be small movements with these weather severity index values going just beyond that threshold that would start to cause some type of reasonable migration. So best bet days for fresh ducks for hunting in the extreme west of our forecast area, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, will be midweek. And as we move east into the prairies, I'd also focus midweek, Wednesday, Thursday, if you're in the northern regions of our forecast area, and later in the week in the southern regions like Friday and Saturday. As we move east into the upper Midwest, I'd focus early and late in the week. There seems to kind of be this uh, midweek lull of warm temperatures and unlikely migration. And then the farther eastern U.S., it's our, still our warmest spot. It's, it's really heavily affected by the Atlantic Ocean. Um, doesn't have much movement, but certainly Friday through the weekend looks like your best bet for fresh ducks in these extreme eastern regions. Of note, while we only provide a seven-day migration forecast, I kind of always want to note when I see something on the horizon in the 10-day, it's in the Arctic Oscillation Index, too, at the long term. Um, We do want to kind of note the long-term forecast shows drops in temperatures starting next Monday and Tuesday, kind of for areas far west and into the prairies of the Central Flyway. That drop-off in temperature will not happen in the upper Midwest. Really, Wisconsin, Michigan, across towards Maine, you're not going to see that. But there's this kind of really nice dip in temperatures showing up like Monday, Tuesday in kind of the 10-day forecast right now. Again, not super reliable, but maybe keep an eye on it, especially since this forecast comes out on Monday morning. I don't want folks to miss that, uh, that time frame there potentially as well. Mallard movement south is predicted by our weather severity index continue to basically be non-existent, right? Mallards only account for about 17% of the total duck abundance throughout the upper Midwest, and many of those are just likely local breeders. Do go listen to our episode I noted before. uh, For one reason, this is another. The Tale of Two Migrations, episode 6, our last episode from last week, to find out kind of why ducks, even mallards, start to to migrate even without this kind of push of weather. Um, And they start to move in like late summer and early fall. It's kind of a real cool breakdown of of why birds move out of their breeding grounds and into these initial uh, kind of staging or stopover locations early on. All right, my friends, that's a wrap for the week. Duck seasons are slowly ramping up and opening as we move towards slowly towards November. Spread the word about the Fall Weather Podcast. We produce the only duck migration forecast available. Remember to follow us for free on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yes, that's my yellow labs barking in the background. Also look us up on the web at fallweather.co and check in for regular updates. I think I'm getting another order of decoys to the front porch. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as fallweather.co where we will post episode links and updates. 
We are the forecast to your next successful hunt. Thanks for listening, and as always, may your skies be filled and shoot straight, my friends. 